It's episode 54 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I am Steve Garshinski, and joining me today are Ryan Top and J.P. Breen. So, uh, Ryan, how have you been doing this week watching this uh, the, the series between both the Cubs and then the series against the Cardinals? Tuesday was awesome. <laughs> that is about it. Everything after that is just sort of a blur. <laughs> yeah, well, again, it doesn't help when, when you've had some rough games or rough go of it and you have off days in there to dwell on whatever you know yeah annoyingly timed off days the the latest bad news gets to fester for an extra day so and then i mean there have been some some go-arounds we'll probably get to some of this stuff later but your go-arounds on twitter about uh bullpen usage and yeah there there have been some things various topics people people have been more charitable about something i've written because i wrote something for the first time in god like half a year so you know, the best way to build an audience is to not write or produce content <laughs> in hey, a reasonable amount of time. My content is my talking. <laughs> I talk my content. <laughs> I guess. that's what you, Oh, I just got a notification that the Brewers are uh, currently in a close game. Thank you. Yeah. JP, what have you been up to? I've been uh, in the library and, and reading. and. Uh... How long does it take to write a syllabus? I'm. I'm not actually writing a syllabus at the moment. I'm, Are you not teaching um, the semester? Reading a pile of books. Oh, okay. I'm already. I'm just done with that. That's all. Okay. Yeah. When you went upstairs a few minutes ago, he showed me the stack of books he's been reading. It's a big stack, Steve. It's a the, really big stack. Well, I mean, there's like seven books in the Harry Potter series, <laughs> and some of them are pretty that's long. All, that's that's all anyone needs. Yeah. That's that's all anybody reads, right? Only only book series. It's 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 the Bible and how the Harry Potter series. Yeah, I think there's some Tom Clancy in there too. But. Yeah, <laughs> or, or whatever, Dan whatever, Brown. whatever historical celebrity Bill Riley, Bill O'Reilly is killed uh, <laughs> this year for his book. Shouts out to my brother. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, that is the Milwaukee's Tailgate Book Club. If you want to, you can follow us on Twitter for more updates there. Uh, You can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. We got a Facebook uh, question this week. Sweet. We get one every like six to eight, eight weeks. Oh, wow. So and we got one you know instead week. of shaming the the Facebook question, I'm not Ryan, shaming it. I'm, should, I'm no, Ryan. You, yeah. Ryan insinuated that it was a crazy thing for somebody to do. Instead, we would actually like to cultivate that and think it's a very positive thing for our, our listeners to do because it helps us have questions to be able to talk. Well, uh, and if on you the want downside, to stand that out, means somebody has to spend time on Facebook, and that's just not a thing that anybody should do. So, well, yeah, you say that, and I'm the one who has to check all of our accounts for everything. So, if you do want to stand out asking a question, you ask it on Facebook. <laughs> I'll see it. And I will try to get to it. I usually try to get them in there just to encourage people to use it since it exists. Um, but anyways, what were we talking about? Oh, Twitter, Facebook. Oh, yeah. If you want to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash Tailgate. Our long love level patrons receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. And what's nice about that is you move to the front of the line if you uh, ask questions there and you're a patron. So That's one of the nice things. Also, you get to hear me and Jim talk for a very long time about minor leagues every month yeah that usually rambles for a while so if you got a lot of time to kill that's what it is it's a time killing podcast 
So, uh, Milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored by Carbon Four Brewing. From Dragon Flute to Block Party to Fantasy Factory IPA, K Four specializes in English style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. Out now is the October Ale, their Oktoberfest style ale. This ale is fermented at near lager temperatures and is an attempt to capture magic in a glass. Soft toffee notes are wrapped in a blanket of flavors of fresh baked bread. The whole experience is accented with a pleasant and subtle woodsy experience provided by a whiskey-soaked blend of French and American oak. And then on August 24th, Carbon 4 is re-releasing Night Call Smorked. Mmm, <laughs> that's smor- Smorked Porter. Sounds smorgasbord beer. It's when you smoke it with pork. Yeah, good. <laughs> you get a nice smoked porter. Smoked porter. Uh, it's got a subtle smoke profile to go along with the dark chocolate and roasted coffee flavors. So uh, go out and pick that up. And then, oh, we should publicize. We're doing our, our fantasy football draft at Carbon 4 coming up. We are. So, yeah. And I imagine that's a thing you can do there because they do have Wi-Fi. So if and, you're a Madison... And they've publicized that they are encouraging uh, people to go and have their fantasy drafts there. You get uh, Rotowire magazines for everybody who's in the league that shows up. Yeah, you're looking at me. You didn't read the email I sent out to the league. I did not know. Because not only do I have to do our rundown for everything and organize our podcast, <laughs> I'm also our fantasy football league commissioner, which means I have to organize that and set up uh, places to hold drafts and everything. Yes. Steve's very good at it. I am. I'm unappreciated. That's what I'm trying. You're supposed you're to say you do. I'm, yes, I'm, you did a good job. I'm Steve. sitting you here waiting for job. you to say you do a nice job. So, but I will say, Carbon Four. Yeah, everybody gets the magazines. Uh, they do a pitcher race for the leagues. Oh, really? So that's a little hard for our league because most of our people live in Milwaukee. Every every two pitchers, you get a third pitcher free, and then the the league that drafted there that uh, I think drank the most pitchers in the season. I think they get like a quarter barrel or something like that. Oh, okay. So, so they're doing a thing. Yeah, they're doing a thing. For football. Yes, for fantasy football. It's a little late to draft for fantasy baseball. Yeah, it is. But maybe next spring. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk see. to them about that. So yeah, check that out. Uh, the brewery's, brewery is over on Kinsman Boulevard. Uh, and then you can find most of their beers at the local retailer. If not, go over to the brewery. Uh, you can buy a growler there, take your own, whatever you want to do, get that filled up. And for more information, visit Carbon4.com. Carbon4 Beer Brilliance. Milwaukee's Tailgate is also sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And I think uh, the popular TV show we always dropped was Game of Thrones. Like, they use it there, and we got, like, another, I don't know, nine months before that comes back. Oh, is that... So it's going to be a spring release again? I don't know, something like that. Okay. So yeah, every every dragon sound, every live dragon sound is uh, is audio. <laughs> they, when they mic up those dragons, they use uh, sound devices. Yeah. To uh, record them. So that's right. So, uh, yeah. But if you want to do a podcast, which is a great thing, uh, you can get the Mix Pre Three or Mix Pre Six for that. Uh, we use a Mix Pre Six, so check that out. Uh, for more information, visit sounddevices.com. Okay, so this week, as we alluded to earlier, was a little tough. Uh, the Brewers currently we're we're late in the what ninth? Yeah, we're in the top of the ninth. Top of the ninth on Sunday afternoon, uh, as we start recording here, the Brewers are a half game out of the playoffs right now. They are first time since I think it was like it was the end April. It was the end of April. Yeah. Um. So, and I mean, it's been a combination of the Brewers have been the Brewers have played poorly, and the Cardinals, I think, are like. Nine and one in their last ten. 
They're salsa powered, Steve. Salsa? salsa? Oh, I heard something about that. Wainwright makes salsa? No, it's Carpenter. Oh, Carpenter makes salsa? Carpenter salsa, yeah. It's really, it's, it's really unfortunate. It's St. Louis. It's got to be just like crushed tomatoes. They can't have any seasoning. They're so oh, bland. Apparently there was, the <laughs> apparently there was, you know, it, this is just in the tradition of the rally squirrel and the happy flights and all of that other BS that they've done. It just, as soon as Verducci started talking about it on the Saturday night broadcast, I flipped out. I was a little on edge before. Do they use anyway, cilantro? Flipped out. Do they use cilantro? I don't know. I'm going to eat that stuff. I don't even like salsa, so. <laughs> I think of that I'm Al, sorry, Al Madrigal stand up. <laughs> you don't like you don't like any salsa. I, I'm not a, a salsa person. I'm R- weird about tomatoes. Ryan only likes meats and cheeses. No, I like tomatoes. You have in Wisconsin. Ways. You have Wisconsin coursing through your, your veins, <laughs> and it's going to stop your heart at a young age with the way you eat. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. <laughs> eat a vegetable. I am having vegetables tonight. <laughs> 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 you're gonna sprinkle them on top of all of the meat you're eating. I schedule when I have my vegetables. It's tonight, and then I don't have to have it for another week. <laughs> okay, well, green beans for lunch. Damn it! <laughs> They're the fried green beans, though. Probably, <laughs> yeah. Slathered in the no, they weren't. Yeah. They were just. Um, anyways, I guess you know how do we handle this with uh, Milwaukee fading poorly, really at a bad time? Because hold on. Now, they've had a chance to hold Atlanta off, and they didn't do it. Like, they took one of three down there. One of three, they split with the Cubs. They split with the Cubs. Uh, that's fine. You hold serve with the Cubs in a two-game series. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a problem. But you've already dropped two down in St. Louis. And like, hopefully they... Here are the teams you need to beat, and you're not doing it. So, I mean, I guess... They've allowed themselves to fall back into the thick of a race where they were out in front of it for a long time, but they're not in terrible position. Lane Grindle was talking on the broadcast early on in Sunday's game about the fact that, you know, when you go on a three city road trip for eight games in the middle of August and you're, you're facing three contenders coming out of that, if they do manage to escape this God willing three and five is not a disaster result. That's, you know, you don't expect to go on the road necessarily and like win a bunch of series against the best teams in the league or the teams that are, you know, up towards the top of the standings in the league. I mean, well, eventually you're gonna have to play them and win a series if you make the playoffs. So but yeah, so part JP. Of the, but part of the reason part of the entire problem is yes, the Brewers have not played great baseball. I mean it's not been as bad as everybody has suggested. I mean, it's not like they've gone winless in, in weeks, but um, not they're not at 500. So it, it's been it's been poor. But the biggest issue has been that the Cardinals are playing amazing baseball for a better part about three weeks. You know, basically ever since they got rid of Mike Matheny, they've been I think 12 or 13 games over 500. I think they put it on TV earlier. I think it was 21 and 10 with the new manager. Yeah. yeah. So I mean that in order to not allow the Cardinals to re-enter the race, if they're going to go on that stretch of games, you have to play fantastically, right? Like even if you're going to play 500, they'd still would have gained a bunch of games on the Brewers. Right. And so it's, it's a combination of playing poorly at a time in which your direct rival is starting to play the best baseball they've played all year. Well, one of the direct rivals, 
I mean, this is a a race where essentially I, I, I know that, but everybody is everybody is mostly concerned spots. about this because of the Cardinals. Oh yeah, it, at the moment it's focused on the Cardinals because that's who they happen to be playing. But and the more you allow, and so, but the problem is, is that all of the other contenders are still around, right? And the Cardinals, who were not in contention, are now firmly in it, and so you're just getting more and more people into the into the mix. And that is, yeah, they really. You're looking at for those two wild card spots. If we concede the division to the Cubs, which I'm not actually ready to do, but just for the neatness of this, go ahead and do it. You're looking at. Who, two teams in the AL East who aren't, or sorry, in the NL East, wh- whoever doesn't win that between Philadelphia, Atlanta, and uh, I guess it's Philadelphia and Atlanta, isn't it? Yeah, Washington. Yeah, is. Washington's out of it. So it's whoever doesn't win, the other team in that equation is in the thick of this race. In the NL Central, you have three teams. You know, if we concede it to the Cubs, then we're saying that the Brewers and Cardinals, and out West, Again, there's three teams in that race, and whoever doesn't win it between the Dodgers, uh, Diamondbacks, and Rockies, the other two are right in the thick of this race, too. You've got essentially five teams for two spots. But the Brewers aren't in a terrible position in that. They're not. Well, being in it and holding teams off is a better position than having to win your way back in. Like, let's not pretend that it's not. No, they're going to have to win regardless, though. They're going to need to finish out the course of this season uh, you know, something like five or six games over 500 because they're now, I believe after today, they'll have 35 games left, 35 or 36 games left. They're going to need to finish at least five or six games over 500 over those last 35 games to, you know, be in it. Yeah, maybe I, maybe a little bit more. Yeah, they have some work ahead of them. Um, and I mean, they can get their act together, but... You know, there there are some problems that, you know, they're clearly trying to overcome. Um, I, Ken Rosenthal had a quote. Do you want me to go through this? Did you see, did you read this ahead of time? The Rosenthal thing? You can yeah. go through it. Okay. Rose, Rosenthal was on the broadcast on FS1 on Saturday, and he said, uh, I wonder how much of it goes back to the non-waiver trade deadline, the confusion about the players they acquired. And I'm not just saying that because it's my opinion. I had one of the Brewers <laughs> players say to me yesterday, hey, when you're in it, you want, uh, you want that push from the front office. This is a psychology that exists among teams. They want the front office to show that they are trying as hard as the players to win when that doesn't happen. And it happened with Milwaukee, but not in the proper way in the opinion of some. Sometimes it can deflate the club. Now that's not the whole story here. And no one should say it is, but it could be part of the story. So this was basically Rosenthal saying the clubhouse was upset with the waiver de- or the trade deadline deals. Or that somebody was. Yes. A, a well, person he's, was... He's attributing one person's opinion to the entire clubhouse. Right. And he's also saying this. He firmly said on the trade deadline on MLB Network on the day that this happened that he didn't get what the Brewers were doing, that this didn't make any sense. So this is also something that confirms what he already thought. So there's many grains of salt to be taken here with what he's saying. Uh, that said, it's not a non-issue. I just don't know that. 
I mean, we've had Deputy Braun before who wanted to be a GM. So, like, we shouldn't <laughs> we shouldn't just assume that players have no opinions on whatever moves are made at the deadline. Oh, no. But whether or not this actually becomes a problem, whether or not this is a problem or becomes a bigger problem, it's really hard for us to say from the outside. And I think we'll need to wait for more evidence than what we've gotten so far before we start saying anything definitively. Yeah, JP, do you think that possibly it could just be... If players have an issue with the moves that were made, it's that they look at the roster and wonder how everybody's fitting in for playing time. Uh, I mean, I don't necessarily know and haven't read enough to be able to understand, you know, the psychology of the team or, or going in and reading gamers and and seeing, you know, quotations. And for the vast majority of it, I've been off of Twitter, so I don't necessarily even know what's been been going on in that regard. But what I will say is if the team really wants to understand what has gone wrong since the trade deadline, like stop giving up home runs. <laughs> like, like the issue is not the offense. They've actually been above average since the trades in August. And the issue has not been whether or not they can actually convert things into the, in that have been put in play. They need to, Stop giving up home runs is the largest issue. Why Why we're laughing over here is because as you were saying that, as you were saying they need to stop giving up home runs, it looked like the Cardinals had just tied the game with two outs in the bottom of the ninth, and Broxton made a catch at the wall to win it. So the Brewers won three and five road trip. They get to go home now and face the Reds. So hopefully they can turn that around. Yeah. Who, by the way, have a, a quality offense who can hit home runs? Uh, without Joey Votto. Vado's on the DL. Well, that that's a big matzo ball hanging out there. So, yeah. okay, you already alluded to it a little bit now, JP, and I kind of broke down some first half and second half uh, stats for the pitching staff. We have both the bullpen and the starters. Um, and I was surprised. I, I assumed that the, the bullpen was pitching not quite as well in the second half, but it's a pretty sharp relief when you look at it. You know, their ERAs jumped from 333 in the first half to 551. Um, and their stats above across the board have, you know, strikeouts have dropped home run to fly ball has gone up. So, I mean, is this an issue of you had an overworked bullpen and maybe in the second half that's starting to rear its head a little bit? I don't think so because you're looking at, it's not the players that have been potentially like worked hard or that you were over relying on in the first half. Hater's still been hater in the second half. He's been not used as much, but, and that's, you know, an issue that can be discussed, but uh, Jeffers pretty much the same. Those guys have still been really good. The issue is that Matt Elbers goes from a fantastic first half, like really, really good first half numbers to absolutely unplayable in the second half, you know, a home run machine in the second half of the season. You had Taylor Williams have a very solid first half. Same thing turns, you know, has gone really, really south in the second half. You don't have really guys who maybe had rough beginnings to the season having good second halves. So I think that it's it's limited the depth of the bullpen. It's limited what the bottom, you know, how how deep you can go. Yeah, you've had but a rough goes. You've had a rough goes from Knable. Soria oh, yeah. only pitched a little bit, and now he's on the DL, so you don't have that to bring in. Right. Um, JP, is there is there something that I, I think fans can 
kind of cling to, like this bullpen can turn it around? Well, I think part of it is the fact that, as you know, Ryan said, like the players that people, I guess, would be normally worried about being overworked actually haven't pitched much recently, right? Like, I think, what is it? Hater, haters pitch well now five five and two thirds innings in in August. Uh, Jeremy Jeffress after two today has now pitched seven. Like, it's not like we are that concerned about their workloads i think a lot of the big concerns come to and like i don't want to be reductive about it but so much of this just comes down to whether or not they're going to stop giving up home runs because if you look they're still striking out far more than you know there or more than the league average they're giving up a lot of walks absolutely so the home runs have hurt more but their batting average on balls and play is still below average which means and if you're looking at potentially blaming the defense because of all of the kind of square pegs and round holes thing that they've been doing at second base and shortstop, it still hasn't actually resulted in more base hits when the ball is put in play than, than normal. The big issue is the fact that they are walking 4.19 batters per nine innings in August, and their home run rate is 2.13 per nine innings in August. And so they're they're hitting the ball better than average uh, uh, in in this month. I don't think that offense is necessarily an issue if you look at what they've been doing in the last three weeks. Yeah, no the, the offense has the been almost either. the the offense has been almost like a, just a constant between the first yeah. half and second half. And so it's the fact that they've struggled to throw strikes and they've given up a ton of homers. And those that combination, if you're going to give up a ton of homers, you can't give up walks. Yeah. And homers come and go. It's something that it comes in streaks. Uh, well, I think hopefully it's going to go pretty soon because, I mean, even Jeffress, yeah. Jeffress had a decent outing and he still gave up a home run today. He did. And almost another one. And Hader almost gave up another one. Yeah. So, was, so I mean, they he, gave, both gave up, they gave up between the two of them three long fly balls. Yeah. But I will. One out. So, off, off topic, just because I pulled up some of the numbers, um, the. <laughs> The, the team that has struck out the fewest number of batters in August are the Texas Rangers, who as an entire staff, meaning their starting pitching and their relief pitching, are striking out 5.4 batters per nine. Sweet Jesus. That's pretty good in like 1984. Right. Yeah, so you say. won't be surprised to hear that their ERA is uh, 5.75 in August. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. Well, in the second half, the Brewers starters ERA is 455, and that was after putting up a 387 in the first half. So um, obviously, you know, they're they're plagued by the home run ball in the same way that the bullpen has been, really. Yeah. They have been, yeah. Um, I mean, in, in particular, it's been it's been Chassin, Guerra, and and Anderson, right? I mean, well, and Freddie Peralta, I suppose, to a limited extent, but I mean Peralta's showing that he's a twenty was he twenty one? 21. Yeah. 21 year old rookie. Mm-hmm. Like, we're seeing growing pains on the mound. And we've talked about that, that that's just with the model that David Stearns is trying to run here, you're going to be breaking in guys into somewhat important roles in the midst of playoff races. It's just how this is going to go. And I know it's not going to make people happy to hear it, but it's, it is what it is. Yeah. So uh, as far as getting some kind of help with the rotation, it looks like the Jimmy Nelson possibility has been shut down. Nelson says he wants to still shoot for it. He's trying. 
Well, yeah. What player is going to say, you know, unless they're just in pain, I'm sure most players are going to say like, yeah, I got a chance. I can, I'm well, going to try to get Nelson back. And Nelson is very much that guy too. They're he's, all, he's, well, they're all competitors. So and he's, he's on the high end of that scale too. So. But, but Stearns' comment was basically his timeline doesn't match up with what the Brewers need to get him back in time. He's all set for an NLCS debut. <laughs> okay, so how does that affect the team going forward? I mean, I think we've all been kind of out on Nelson coming back and being productive for a little while now. For a while now, yeah. We're not, yeah. I mean, JP, do you think this is a big blow at this point? You know, it's a team that needs help in the rotation, and there was always that that possibility that Nelson could come back. But what kind of blow does this have for them right now? I would be surprised if anybody in the organization has been expecting Jimmy Nelson to contribute in a big way the last couple of months. So I don't think I don't think the realization that he's probably not going to be coming back is going to change anything. Okay, because this is new information for us, but not necessarily for them. I mean, even two months ago, it wasn't new information. But you think they were they were probably operating on this information around the trade deadline. So when everybody wanted a pitcher. Right. They knew that Nelson wasn't coming back and they still didn't get a deal that they liked to, to pull the trigger on to get another starter. Right. So um, I, what should we expect from Nelson going forward? I mean, this was a big injury. I have it, no expectations for him. Like his career going forward, you have no expectations? I, or in 2019, you just don't, I just don't I know what to just expect. Means he, doesn't, he doesn't know what is. Yeah. Like not that you don't expect him to con- come back in like any capacity whatsoever you just don't have any idea what it's going to look like right i need to see what his velocity looks like if he can still spin a breaking ball like we're talking about real basic stuff here that we have to find out before we can have any sort of real idea of what he looks like going forward and i don't think we're going to get that until next year maybe i think they were tossing around the idea he could potentially you know, go down to instructs and do some stuff there. Do we know exactly what the holdup is or, or what the issue is? He's just building up, right? Now. I know he's building up. He hasn't really gotten to the point where he's thrown from the mound. No, he did throw from the mound for the first time. He did. Okay. Yep. He's been throwing from the mound now. There was some video of it. I was going to say that like part of me wonders. And uh, like I said, I've been out of the loop, so I don't necessarily know how strong of a possibility this is. But how much of this has been maybe misreading what Jimmy Nelson could offer? Like, what is the what is the potential that he could start throwing off a mound, go down to the minors, or like go down to instructs and and pitch in the instructs in in early September, come up with two weeks left in in the season and pitch out of the bullpen? I mean, if he's pitching out of the bullpen, they're basically going to have to tightly tightly regulate what he's doing i'm gonna see that, him on back-to-back fine, days but that does, that's fine but that doesn't change the question right like that that i i'm just suggesting like every single thing that we've been talking about in terms of is nelson coming back this year we've been thinking as a starter oh right? sure like can he get built when we're saying built up we're not necessarily talking about building up innings we're just talking about building up like shoulder strength and stamina right to be so able could to he potentially come back and say pitch two innings like if they wanted to be able to bullpen some games could he come back and pitch two innings that's what my joke about you know october 15th in the nlcs was like you know you could potentially see him well he's kind of plateaued at what like 80 85 i think is what they're i think so yeah i think that's is. right and they're they're being very cautious with him and they were very Which careful i don't to know say, hold on they were being very careful to say and we should get this out there 
in these reports, he has not had a setback. This is not why we're talking about this. This is not about a setback. This is just his progress. They're, they're going through this step by step by step, and he's just not progressing, you know, as fast as they were hoping he was going to. You know, he just there haven't been like leaps and bounds in the in the progression here. Yeah, so, he had big progression early and then he plateaued. Right. And he just hasn't been able to get past this point. OK, so going back to the bullpen, we had an issue over the during the week in this Cardinal series that you, you got into kind of a, a an argument, Ryan, back and forth about bullpen well, I, usage. Right. Like I said, I went and wrote something for the first time in a while. What I, I found just, interesting was, OK, so you had this point about win expectancy. And you basically said once the Brewers gave up like two runs in the first inning, that's their win expectancy dropped to like twenty five percent. Right, but that's not the main point. That's a side. No, point. no, no. But that's how you wanted to then manage the game from that point out. Is they were twenty five percent chance to win as every inning progressed, their chances lowered. I guess my question is for JP. Now we have win expectancy and leverage. Is there a way that we should follow those things during the game, or are they just kind of something to reference after the fact? Because, like I said, Ryan was kind of—I'm I, I, speaking for him a little bit—but he was kind a of making—you <laughs> were making the point of kind of managing a win expectancy. I guess how do how do teams view that when they're managing the bullpen and they're managing the starters during the game? Like, is it something that they would consider, or is that just uh, more interesting for fans to look at after the game on Fangraphs? Uh, probably a little bit of both. I mean, it's certainly something that you have in mind, whether or not you have the exact percentage of, you know, the exact win percentage during the middle of a game or whether or not you're just kind of making calculations and gut feelings throughout the game. You have everybody has an idea of when it, you feel more likely to win a game and when you feel less likely to win a game. I mean, and most of the time it's in extremes, but still you're you're working with that assumption. Um, and but what I will say in terms of a lot of it is still going to come down to, to gut feelings, right? Like it's still going to come down to the fact it's, you know, we were talking about how the fact on Friday's game that Jordan Lyles came back out in what was it? The eighth inning. Uh, yeah. Yeah. After he got through the seventh. Yeah. And he came back out and gave up a couple of runs and that caused. Well, problems, they gave him, but, they gave him a long leash on it too. Cause he put a couple guys on. And then he gave up the run. So I'm just saying it wasn't like Lyles came out for a second inning, you know, gave up like a home run or something right away. Like he got a few batters to not be great. And part of that comes down to whether or not you thought he threw really well in the seventh. Right. I mean, that's going to change your calculations as far as whether or not you feel comfortable moving with somebody into the eighth inning as well. It's not something that you're going to have a static idea about what a pitcher is in the abstract. You're still going to be able to make gut feelings as a as a man as a manager to be able to decide who's pitching well and who's not pitching well. Um, Now, as far as the long leash is concerned, I can't really I can't speak to that, obviously, but you're still going to get into spots in which you have to make gut feeling or you have to make gut decisions and it's not always going to be based on, on win percentage. Um, so I, so the answer is that, yes, I mean, it does matter, but it, not in like in a minuscule fashion or like, you know what I mean? Like not, not in a really, um, fine grained sense, I guess, I yeah. suppose. So then we had the issue of like, uh, it, it becomes a higher leverage situation. The Brewers are down to run. Um, they need to get out of that inning to remain down a run. Instead, they're, you know, down three going into the ninth because they left Lyles in. 
Um, I know a lot of people wanted to see either Jeffress or Hader come in with the team down, and that doesn't seem to be the way that they're being deployed. That's not the way they're being deployed. At all. No, not right now, especially because we saw, I think, a little bit more of that and a little bit more willingness to use them when there were more good relievers around them. When you had Matt Albers having success, when you had Taylor Williams having success, when you had even Soria, you know, briefly here. Right now, there's essentially two really reliable relievers you want in there with the game online. And we saw it on Sunday's game. They, you know, got six very strong innings from Chassin turned it over to three innings from Jeffress and Hader combined to get out of it. And that's kind of the way it is right now, just because Williams, Burns, uh, have, all is these guys that, have struggled. Yeah, but is that manageable? You know, if you're basically saying we have two reliable relievers, we're only going to use them in these particular situations. Like, how many games can you win in that way? Like, are you basically saying, like, we can't win when we're down? If, on, on the road, it's going to be very hard to win when you're if, down. If they don't get better pitching from some of the group of Corey Knable, Corbin Burns, uh, Matt Albers, Taylor Williams, they will not make the playoffs. Okay? They will not. Those no, they're guys, showing that. Those guys have to step up. No matter how good and how hard you ride Jeffress and Hader. It, that's not going to be enough. I mean, unless the rotation pulls a Houdini and all of a sudden they're going seven, eight strong every night and like the offense is scoring 10 runs, it's going to be really hard to do that. So that's the first problem. The other problem, so you just don't have a lot of options to turn to. The other issue is situationally, this was the first game of six straight days of games. Yes, Hader and Jeffers are coming in rested. But you also, Craig Council has to be aware of the fact that he has these games in front of him that also need to be won. And so using your best relievers in a situation where, and again, Craig Council did not send a reliever to the mound in that game with a better than, I think it was 13% chance to win all night. That's just the fact. Like, they did not have... Well, hold even, on a hold second. On, hold on. Finish. That's a whole win let expectancy thing. No, no, no. But and that's win the... expectancy can swing quite a bit on a play. It, I'm just saying, like you're yeah. saying, it was only a 13% chance. But if the Brewers put together a rally in the following inning, I mean, that wildly swings win per, the, if the win they expectancy. If put together a rally, it can swing it, but it's still... Look, he, you're talking about him using... He has these two really good relievers. And everything else is kind of, I think you can make a case. And this is where it was we can down get, a run. Okay. Right. But so when you're talking people, about, hold on, hold on. The impression that that creates, people think that being down a run is a massive change in what percent chance you're going to win the game from being down three. And it's actually not because both are fairly low percentage chances. This is something that like basic sabermetric research has been pounding for 15, 20 years on people to try to understand how bullpens really operate and why this stuff's important. And being down a run is a much larger hurdle than people seem to think it is. It feels much closer than it really is. And remember, too, in that situation, the Brewers were going to have to get the Cardinals for six outs. Because in the sure, bottom of the but eighth, you need to and you only have three outs to play with. Okay, You have three outs to play with. They have six. Okay, So there's that function first of all there's also the problem of 
Okay, this is getting you're pretty going bad. To be facing their J- best relievers, JP. I mean, when you get to this, when you're down a run, do you think the Brewers need to manage that like they're tied or up a run? Like, is that the same situation, or are they are they is that a case where they need to just say let's just get through this one? Like, what is a one run game to you when they're managing that late in the game? I mean, for me, if you if you only have uh, two premier relievers, if you and I suppose this is like this is like old person yelling at a at a cloud. I suppose, um, but if if you can't trust Jordan Lyles to come in with a one run deficit, what's he on the team for? I well, mean, th- th- and he got through, like if right well, if you have to the one inning. He got right, through but, the one inning, so you were trusting Lyles for two innings. Well, he may not fine, be on the team in a couple days in, when Matt Albers comes back. So see, right, so this isn't, but this could be an argument as far as I don't know, like if he's taken out and and Taylor Williams is the person that's put in, right? Because you're still trying to protect it, and he gives up, uh, he gives up a bunch of runs, right? It's still the exact same argument. If you can't rely on some of your pitchers to be able to pitch in a one run deficit they shouldn't be on the team and the question is of course what are the alternatives they don't necessarily have the alternatives that you'd like at the moment because of injuries and that's a part of the story but you have to be able to rely on some of these guys to be able to pitch middle innings and every single time we can talk about the fact when you say hold on when you say some of these guys you're talking about the williams burns that crew Jennings. Yeah, those guys. absolutely. Yeah. People that you would consider middle relievers. Yeah. You have to be able to pitch in middle innings. And and if you are going to get into a spot in which you are going to deploy your highest level leverage uh relievers in in situations in which uh frankly a clean inning is not a high leverage situation, you're going to be overtaxing. Right. I mean, a high leverage situation is uh, a tie game. If you're talking about clean innings, you're not talking about a one run deficit. Um, if you're talking high leverage situations, it, it changes a little bit. And if you um, go look at what the leverage index was in all of those situations that inning, nothing in that happened in the bottom of the eighth was high leverage. It, none of it was remotely high leverage. It was all but low you leverage. Also, because I, I am sympathetic you're down to a run. Me. But I'm also sympathetic to the idea that uh, as, that as supporters watching a game, what counts as leverage is going to be different than what feels like certain higher low leverage to somebody like Great Council, right? I mean, like if you are facing the the Cardinals, you've gone through this this poor stretch of of games like Brewers fans have. And you go through and you start to get closer and closer and you feel like you can go take a game on the road against one of your key rivals in the NL Central. It's going to feel like a big deal. I don't think that there is anything wrong with saying that as a fan that feels like a bigger deal than it is to the manager at that point. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. But you can't expect the manager to manage to those feelings. Well, the manager should, has to make those decisions in a cold, calculating way. They can't manage sure, to but those should, feelings. Sure, should Craig Council feel like he cannot use Jeffress or Hader right now, which are really his only two trusted relievers in a game where the Brewers are down or run and they, they need to get a win. Well, I mean, should again, he feel like he can't bring them in? That's situationally. I would use them in, if you have an off day coming the next day, like if we're talking about Wednesday afternoon here against the Reds and those guys are available to him, like if they're not off limits because they were used a bunch the previous couple days, 
Okay. Then, yeah, if you're down a run and you got that off day coming, go ahead, use them. Like, well, if, but hold on. They came, they came into St. Louis off an off day. Off an off day, but with, again, five straight days of games coming. Well, yeah, but again, I think this is the issue where we say like, oh, you know, Hader wasn't pitching back-to-back days, but that's... Let me, let me ask a different... Jeffers pitches back-to-back days. Let me ask a different question. As far as Williams, Burns, Lyles, Jennings, right? The vast majority of the bullpen, if you want to get rid of, of uh, Jeffress and you want to get rid of Hader, when, when are you allowed to use them? When I mean, is this is this just a situation in which yeah, you're like, OK, those are the people that we use when we're up three runs or if we're down two or more runs like you have to be able to use some of those guys in situations in which, you know, quote unquote, there's higher leverage or you're in a close game. You have to. You cannot say that if there's a close game and you're after the seventh inning, you can only use these two pitchers. That doesn't work. Right. A hundred percent. Those guys are going to have to pitch. So they're going to have to get Canabel Can- right. They're going to have to get, you know. Hopefully, Albers, Albers had done some really good things. He struck up five of six batters faced in his last rehab outing. In, uh, Man, in I'm not going to believe anything about Albers until I actually see until it. Until we see it. But, I mean, there's at least something positive there. He's He he looked like he was throwing batting practice before. Yeah, I don't but, know. Okay, here's here's my thing I, with it is I was just surprised at how long a leash Lyles got. That was my issue more than anything. But I mean, people I could it, argue, people could go around and around about Jeffers should have come in, haters should come in, what's the leverage, blah, blah, blah. Leaving Lyles in for go in the second inning during that appearance that he was in, I was surprised at how long the leash was. Like, it seemed like he was the type of guy that once he put a guy on, get him out, let's get somebody else in. That I think, was my question, biggest problem. The question, though, is do you then do you turn to Hater? And and Jeffress? No. Or do you no, no, turn no. against I, anyone else? I just at that point I wanted to see anyone else. And Williams sure. came in and pitched. He was solid. Williams came in and got the outs. I think that my I have absolutely no issue with saying that you would have preferred Taylor Williams or one Burns, any one of these other guys except Jennings because Jennings is a lefty and it was five straight right-handers with power. That was part of the the setup was like, well, they didn't want to use Jennings there because it didn't really make sense matchup wise. Um, But if you wanted to use one of those other guys, fine, have at it. I have no issue with that whatsoever. My issue is purely just the idea that they should have used one of their relief aces in that situation. I don't think. And and I'm more I'm more sympathetic to the argument that Steve's saying that, right, like in terms of having a longer leash, especially in a second second inning. It could be a situation where council is, you know, basically testing a new pitcher to see what he's got. Right. Somebody he hasn't necessarily seen pitch for the team all that much. How's he going to react in a tough situation? Obviously, you don't necessarily want to see that when it's in, in uh, you know, in a postseason hunt. But at some point, you got to see that. Um, but there's also. There's also a question of. um there's also, I suppose, a question of what the, the Cardinals are going to be able to do in the next inning in which what is what is the likelihood? And you have to be able to, to make this calculation as well. What's the likelihood that you're going to be able to score off of St. Louis's closer? Right. And yeah, it's Bud Norris. And yeah, he's got a three ERA this year. And it's not like he is one of the best relievers. In, but like his FIP is fantastic. And you know what else about it? This is another point I made in the piece that I wrote. He was facing the seven, eight, nine hitters of the Brewers lineup. He was facing the bottom end, and really the the big bat they had available off the bench 
was Ryan Braun, who is just coming back from being injured. So you're so, and he's never had a dramatic hit in his career. Well, so my 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 point is that if they would have I think my general feeling is if they would have used somebody like Hader or Jeffress in that situation, I think that's fine. But if there's the old argument, if you want to look at uh, leverage, if you want to look at win expectancy, if you want to look at how often you're expected to score, a clean inning is, uh, that was the reason why people used to say closers didn't matter. Because if you got a clean inning, most relievers can get through that. Um, it's the whole, it's the same kind of argument for me, I suppose, in a, in a one run deficit. Um that you should expect one of your relievers to be able to get through a clean inning without anybody on base. And they could and have had a quicker hook. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a, I, I that's think they true. absolutely could have had a quicker hook. I think that's absolutely fine. I think it so. doesn't change the odds that much, but it, you could have had a quicker hook. Okay. So we're going to move on. Uh, we got a question, Patreon question from Steve Romanesco, uh, more from, uh, Tom Verducci, the douche in the booth, the, the yes, the, the douche the, in the, the booth. Verducci. Uh, he talked about the shift being terrible for baseball and that MLB should somehow put rules on it. Do you guys agree at all? And is there any way that you could make those rules work? Well, so I just heard a whole thing from Sam Miller. He wrote an article in ESPN. You can check that out. I didn't read it, but I listened to him on the Hang Up and Listen podcast. And there's starting to become evidence that on the whole, the shift doesn't actually work. This is this is a little... and. It mostly hinges on the idea that pitchers don't trust it. So that walk rates have gone up when teams are in extreme shifts. And that so the net effect of the shift, they're claiming is not great. And so there's some evidence to to back that up. So that just going into this, let's understand that it may be. Well, hold on. Okay. That that's a good example of whatever is currently happening in baseball will not be the same thing that's happening five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road. No. And there was also that whole thing. Remember Theo Epstein claimed that like, there's this whole generation of minor league hitters who are like learning to hit against the shift and to, you know, take, I think the Cardinals it. did it this weekend. Yeah. I think to a certain extent they were doing that. Yeah. yeah. I don't think they're necessarily hitting against the shift, but it seemed to be every ball that they hit when shifted. Hashtag Cardinals devil magic. It really was. So, uh, JP, uh, as far as the shift goes, I don't think anybody here is against it. So I guess is if for some reason baseball decided to uh, arbitrarily create more rules than necessary, is Illegal there a way defense? To, what's that? Illegal defense like in the old NBA? Yeah. <laughs> is there a way to even enforce this or make this work? I think so. I think you could probably create some kind of idea in terms of how many players are allowed on each side of the base in terms of, uh, you know, outfielders and infielders, you'd have to be able to do it as both because otherwise you could potentially manipulate where you put the second baseman to claim that he's technically an outfielder. Like you literally have zones that they play in. I don't necessarily think you'd have to go that far, but you could basically cut, you could cut it right down the middle and say the most you could possibly have on the right, like to the right of second base or to the left of second base is what, uh, four, four players like four defenders, right? Sure. So then technically you could still then maybe move your center fielder a little bit to the right and you could bring another infielder over, right? I mean, you could do things like that, but I think that's the only way. I don't think you can create zones in which, you know, guys are not allowed to leave. But I also, I think baseball has seen so many different uh, 
changes that have happened that I think what it was three or four years ago, maybe it was, maybe it was even more. I think it was the 2013 season in which people were talking about the fact that they needed to lower the mound because basically pitchers had just gotten so dominant. Right. And I don't know where this comes. I think ultimately the shifting comes from the fact that, uh, or the, the kind of anti shift doesn't necessarily come from the fact that they're worried that it depresses offense They're They are worried about the fact that, um, it looks like more balls hit and play are being converted into outs. And I don't think that there's actually that much evidence to suggest that that's true. Yeah, I mean that's that is the. Big I could question. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I, as far as I had seen last, there's not as much evidence to suggest that when balls are put in play, there's a higher rate of them being converted into outs right now. I mean, so ultimately, no. I think this, that I think that is actually true. That since the shifting started, balls in play have decreased. the The well, rate the, at which the, balls the, in play uh, turn into hits has decreased, but okay, that the the walk rate has gone up and. The home run rate has gone up, but you're also dealing with the juice. Okay, ball but era, but how so. much of I don't necessarily buy the argument that walk rate is going up is having anything to do with shift whatsoever. I think the walk rate is going up because people are pitching at max effort 100 percent of the time, and batters are taking more taking more pitches. Well, they were looking at correlations between when the shift is on and when the shift's off now, league wide, and saying that the the walk rate goes up. Well, I would also then question what type of hitters are you going to be shifting against. Oh, there's that too. You're well, right. And also, hold on. You're right. Now, when you're shifting, aren't you shifting generally when like nobody's on base? No, um, no. There's shifts that are employed when runners are on base as well. Okay, but there, runners. There are some limitations. Putting runners on. The more runners limit. on, the less you can shift. So I'm just curious if like you're also in situations where giving up a walk doesn't hurt as much. Therefore, pitchers are more likely to just pitch around guys, not pitch in the zone. I think that could be some of the statistical noise. Yeah, I I think that could be there. I just uh, what is so Sam Miller's wrong. Like what is quite possibly what is the point? We just proved it to to get rid of the shift. I don't know. It's just old people complaining about shit. That's That's right. I mean, that's totally what it is. is. It's the it's the issue of like saying that baseball's gotten more boring with balls put in play. No, here's what it is. Ted Williams was the first guy that like the shift was deployed deployed against, and they don't want anyone under Ted Williams level to be shifted against because he was, you know, one of the greatest hitters of all time. <laughs> other other than the fact that like the standard bearer for why you shouldn't shift is that you need to be a better hitter like Joey Votto. So you can't be shifted against. Yeah. It's, uh, it's right? all so suddenly you can't be that good and you can't be, uh, you know, you can't be as good as, as, as Ted Williams, but you must be as good as Joey Votto. Yeah. No. T- uh, yeah. Verducci, Man, he's he's Verducci loves his hot takes. He's got quite the track record of just garbage opinions. So I guess that's basically. Well, do we want to talk about the Verducci effect? I mean, I mean, that that's was, at least that was he he threw that out there as a thing and tracked it over years and whatever. He at tracked least, it and then other people tracked it and said, "Oh, this is garbage." Right, but at least but he kept he keeps trotting it out there. He he stopped. With so that. you know what he doesn't. I don't think he's even talked about. That's because he gets roasted every time he does it now. So oh. I think basically <laughs> Tom Verducci has terrible takes, and we should probably ignore everything he says. Okay, I do wonder if maybe we should be able to bar pitchers from throwing more than ninety miles an hour too. Um, 
the most interesting thing I've heard, if we're talking about trying to bring some balance back to this, <laughs> bring balance back to the force, bring balance to the force. Yeah. Which, yeah. Well, anyways, yeah. go anyway. Point being, if that was the case, um, the, if that was a needed case, sorry, move the mound back. That's the most interesting one I've heard where if you talk about moving the mound back, like even six inches, or a foot, or a foot and a half, like a small amount, something that you wouldn't even notice with the naked eye, it could have a very large impact just because it gives the hitters that tiny extra bit of time to be able to make a decision. It so then why would you do that when you could just raise or lower the mound? Because raising and lowering the mound, it opens up more issues potentially with injury. And there's think, all kinds of disagreement. Well, as to, but like, there's also the idea, you know, JP was just talking about pitchers pitching with max effort all the time. That's going to have as much to do with guys getting injured as the height of the mound. Right, but you can't stop that. You can't tell guys stop pitching max effort. You can well, hold on raise or lower the mound or move it back. I mean, forward. if guys are injuring themselves because they're pitching max effort all the time, don't you think maybe you need to change your philosophy on how to pitch? Well, maybe that would be best for the industry. Here, keep keep throwing until your arm gets but it's not blown up. Well, but that's always been the case with baseball. They'll just run guys through regardless. So, of but going. if they change anything with like the mound or the shift or anything like that, then aren't we just going to start complaining that the games get too long because then offense is going to increase? I'm sure that will happen. <laughs> then, then Rob Manfred's going to start putting runners at second base at the start of the fourth like i think we should did, we, you see, did you see that minor league game in which somebody the, a team lost despite a no hitter because in extra innings they put a runner at second base and so they lost while not walking Jesus. anyone and lost and and despite they, the fact that they, they had lost it oh no hitter or a perfect game like they literally had a perfect well, game. They walked the people earlier in the in okay, in, in, but like the that is literally the rule i never want to see in major league baseball yeah, Jim Callis like screams about that one. No, you don't. Yeah, you yeah. don't. You don't Anything fake. <laughs> don't fake the game by like randomly placing guys in places. Like either play the inning or, or call it a tie. Like right. I don't I'm care. Like, it, at that point, if you're actually worried about it, just just institute ties. That's the biggest thing. Ties should be a part of baseball. They they were early on, and people don't. I don't know. Is that that big of a deal to play another inning? Uh, to play another three innings, especially in an era now where we're, we're but you're so making the argument as far as that's why people want to put runners at second base because they do want to play extra innings, but they don't want to play three. And so they're thinking that this is a way to be able to do it. Right. They want to end the game more quickly. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, then you get to play chicken with the other team to see who brings in the worst reliever first or, you know, the position player to pitch. Oh, man. If if they ever had that, though, Quentin Berry would have a permanent spot on any team. That's who I'm putting at second base. I don't even <laughs> I don't even care what offensive substitution I need to make. He's going to second base as soon as it hits the 10th inning. Okay, uh, on Patreon, Charlie Robolewski asks, I found the Jake Thompson acquisition interesting. Uh, how relevant is he for the stretch run? Uh, is he a relief pitcher or more likely a starter? And then I guess here's the second question. What's your most uh, optimistic storyline for the organization right now, excluding Keston Hira? Ryan, do you want to start with that one? I don't know really what the deal is with Jake Thompson. I just took a brief look. He's in AAA, right? He's not on the major league roster. JP, 
man, I didn't even know we picked up Jake Thompson. This is interesting. <laughs> I, I literally saw it and was like reading his stuff as I was working out. I was like, oh, they picked up Jake Thompson. So let me read about his history. Oh, oh, that's not a big difference between the strikeouts and walks. Oh, I'm well, no, not that but, he's, in but he, I, he's, he's a former top prospect. Yes, he is. But he's there's been a while since the bloom came off that rose. I think he's 27, 28. I don't know. Are we looking for him to be a contributor in any way? Uh, by the way, he's only 24 years old. Oh, Achi Machi. Wow. Okay. Contributor. Um, in, in I don't. This season, I, if he is, it's because there a bunch of other things have gone wrong. <laughs> so well, it, it's bad if he's a contributor. Okay. Well, what I will say is that we've seen this again and again with, uh, and I think that Patrick, uh, um, I think Jonathan Judge was the first one to bring this up. But the vast majority of the time when the Brewers go and actually acquire a pitcher, they have a very specific change that they want that pitcher to make. And so I would be interested to find what that is before we kind of go too much uh, into it. Because as we've seen with so many guys, Jake Jake Thompson's like, I I remember him even just tracking him last year and and, um, being able to read scouting reports and stuff just because it was such a big deal that he had fallen off. He was part of the uh, Cole Hamels trade as well coming from from the rangers and his biggest issue is command's gone just flat out gone and so it's going to be a matter of him being able to throw strikes again he can miss some bats i mean not at a really high rate but um i think for what i would suggest is that there is a very specific change that they want him to be able to make whether sometimes it's you know we've heard this with with guys like chassin it's Simply, we just want you to pitch higher up in the zone. But I think the biggest change for Jake Thompson would have to be a way to get him to throw more strikes. So we'll see what that what that is. But if you're a top prospect, you will continue to get shots. As long as the stuff holds out, like the physical yeah. stuff. Yeah. As for the second part of the question. Oh, yeah. Um, what's the most optimistic thing about me for the organization right now? The depth of young pitching still. We have more good arms good young arms in the system right now than i can ever remember seeing so that's we have a lot of them and there's a lot of potential upside with these guys so god that's a lot of guys that are gonna fail <laughs> you you truly are a milwaukee sports fan i've been conditioned as a brewers <laughs> fan to just expect arms to just not make it so jp do you have one that you uh you're happy to see this season so far besides keston Hira? absolutely uh, Christian Yelich and uh, Lorenzo Kane are going to be Brewers for the next uh, for four or five years. Four years after this, yeah, yeah. I mean, those deals so far have worked out, so I, I don't think anybody has complaints about those. Yeah, we're no. Just talking so they're going to they're going to stick around, and they're decent. So that that's a pretty optimistic thing from my point. <laughs> like they had a, an amazing off season this last. I, I threw it out on Twitter this afternoon, asking what would you give for a grade right now of of Milwaukee's uh, of Stern's off season. And I, you know, a lot of B's, uh, there are more A's there's kind of split between A's and B's and then a very few people with C's and what, B's and F's. what would your, like, what's the criticism for the off season that they that didn't, didn't go and, enough. that they, that they didn't go get a high profile pitcher that didn't exist. Well, I mean, yeah, that's basically you, why did you not turn water into wine? Right. Because. Well, considering I mean, Chassin's been, has he been the best? He's been, I think, or the second the be- best. I think, and I Wade think Miley. Miley, Jake Arrieta has been 
has been the one that is kind of struggle or it, it might be a little bit better than uh Arietta, yeah Arietta is I think maybe a little bit better but if you look at the the difference well, in contracts the guy that they yeah. faced on Friday uh the Brewers faced on Friday or no Saturday Miles Michaelis is that oh yeah he's Michaelis, been Michaelis has been even better than Shasin really yeah and, and he came he came from the Japanese leagues and he's been phenomenal and the Brewers dipped their toe into the water there I know they they checked that out and you know, think if they had gotten him and Shasin, you know, that's. I, were they in on him? I don't know that they were even. I'm not going to say think about if they would have gotten him if there was no connection to him. But they, I mean, they also added Wade Miley and, you know. Miley's been fine. Shasin's been good. They even added Giovanni Gallardo and cut him. Yeah, they, they didn't. Up- <laughs> yeah, they didn't play Gallardo. That was a pretty good move. They Hey, they grabbed Dan Jennings at the what was that on the last cut down when he was cut? The, the final cutdowns came. They took him it was, right before it was the season. just after that because they had they declared their opening day roster so yeah. they could put Jim and Choi on it and then announced the move right after it so they could move Choi down to triple A. Yeah, you know, Jennings pitched better and they were willing to uh, move on from Boone Logan when he got back and was ineffective. Yeah, Logan was the only guy and it really was a matter of they did just, not they hesi- didn't need him. They didn't hesitate to just cut bait on that one. Well, and they just didn't need him. You know, it was especially at that point, their bullpen was so deep and so good, you know. Yeah, this goes to your point about bullpens just being, you know, Boone Logan hasn't been signed by anybody since he was cut. Wow. Really? He's not even like pitching in triple A somewhere. No, he's not. I mean, maybe he's been signed or maybe he's injured or something. But as far as I can see, he has not pitched a single inning for any other organization since he's been cut including in the minors. Okay. Uh, We got Ted Langer on Facebook asks, hey, guys, I don't want to sound negative and alarmist. But what do you guys think of the offseason implication? What do you think the offseason implications are for the Brewers if they don't make the playoffs? Now, this became relevant once the Brewers had dropped out of a playoff position. They're currently, I think, a half game back in. Yeah, they would have flipped, I, I mean, flopped back with I, the Cardinals. But I guess I have- with expectations, if the Brewers don't make the playoffs this year, is there a significant change that needs to happen? No, I mean, I have a quick answer for this. It's going to be more of the exact same because even the moves that they made this summer were with an eye towards 2019. So it's a long-term building project. I mean, Scope is still was here to to hopefully be able to give an offensive jump for, you know, the final two months of the year. And obviously thus far, he struggled a lot more than people, including myself, have expected. But there's still plenty of time there. He was also... JP, did you see the news today? Sorry to interrupt, but did you see that? Somebody from Masson was reporting that Scope was that the Brewers are looking to cut bait on him in the offseason, and if they can't get anybody, they might uh, release him, <laughs> was the story. that was Who said it was, that? It was on Masson. Uh, Someone in particular? Well, a guy I'd never it, heard that'd of. That'd be basically the Orioles' home network. Right, okay. it's the Orioles' network. Um, and that was the rumor that was circulating. Somebody, somebody's Sunday column had that in there, and so... Mm-hmm. No, but um, it seems I ridiculous also, to me. I also wouldn't put much stock in that whatsoever. So, right, that's what I'm. I'm thinking. I think it's that's BS. It doesn't hold any water for me. Yeah, I well, it's kind of interesting because I know, like, I think JP, the the two of us were pretty close in our win projection. We were well, none of us were really was a far win apart. Of, <laughs> you were like eighty six, and somebody else was eighty three. It was like eighty three, eighty two. But Ryan was like an eighty six with like a long explanation for why it could be way worse and why it could be way. Sure, better. yeah, yeah. 
He's got he's got ten wins on either side that he feels. I likes my error bars, boys. Which, which I was gonna say, which we all do, but we just didn't need. The, it was like implicit that any kind of win projection is actually just a probability model that has a, that has like error bars on either side. I like my error bars. Well, and it's interesting. You know, we've seen the the bullpen struggle, and we've seen what a good bullpen can do as far as raising a team, and what you know a struggling bullpen can do to really limit success. So. I think it really takes 162 games to find out what it was. Yeah, it is. You really do need baseball's weird that way. You need a lot of time to figure out what's real. Yeah. So uh, finally, Jason Donlinger asks, why do the baseball gods hate the Milwaukee Brewers and their fans? It is. It's another late season fade. We don't get like. I hate that. It happens. No, the, it always feels good early. And then when we hit August and September, it just it's pain. Like, I don't know if it would be better to start slow and then make a push and miss it. Everybody does that. Well, no, n- not everybody starts out well. The Cardinals are no, showing that you can start out well. No, no, no. The Cardinals are showing well in some years. Yeah. The Cardinals are showing that you can start out really crappy and make a push. And that makes August and September more fun. Right. But then at the same time, well, yes, right? But there's also a feeling as far as, yeah, the Cardinals were expected to, I mean, I projected the Cardinals to beat the Brewers. I think year. it's... So I'm not surprised that they're, so that they're evening eventually out, playing. Well. Evening okay. out feels like some sort of crushing No, no, defeat, no, no, no. no. Like, I think what no. hurts, what, what makes this difficult is August is the dog days. Like, you're late in the season. Man, you're grinding you, away. And it's you actually thing, can't see the finish line yet. It's yes. still, The finish line is actually still further out there. It is hard when you're grinding like this and the team's not playing well. You're man, grinding like tell, fans. You're grinding, you you're grinding really these out, Steve. Do. Okay, you know what? I, that's not what I meant, but <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with that. Yes, you know what? When you're watching August baseball and it's tough and you've already sat through four months or whatever it is and you're trying to get through this one, yeah, it can feel like a grind when you're turning another game on and they're not playing well. I mean, Let, let's sure. not pretend that these games are fun to watch. Yeah, baseball still should be fun. You try we're, to find things that we're are in fun the about em- it. We're in the Empire Strikes Back portion of like this season. Like, so September brings Ewoks, is that what you're saying? <laughs> we're going to have Ewoks and yeah, all that fun stuff. Lando Calrissian is going to show up and be a hero. Who's the Lando Calrissian of the uh, Brewers right now? Wow. Uh, Who turned on us, but in the end is actually going to be the hero? Jonathan Scope. My God. There we go. It's Scope. Jonathan Scope is going to be the Lando Calrissian. It's like, well, it's Jonathan Scope. (laughs) Or Corey Knable. Oh, Uh, good one, too. Another one. Could be. But I will say what you really need to do to make sure that like these dog days of of August are not that bad is you just like need to be preparing for a soul crushing exam and not have any idea what's going (laughs) on. It doesn't necessarily like baseball then is still cool. You can come back and you're like, I get to talk about this for a little bit. I get to see what's going on. Um, It's, you know, you just have like high anxiety and other pieces of your life and it's an escape. It's not so bad. You know, I'll say I'm, I'm okay with like, you can just pull back a little bit. You don't need to be like hanging on every pitch. There's a certain yes. point where, you know what? 
September baseball is going to get exciting. It's going to get a little cooler out. So I think that'll lower the stress level for everybody to a certain point. Because <laughs> you know what? When the humidity's up and you're just feeling crappy sitting around. Because I, sw- I sweat been, like it, I'm awful in this weather. I should tell you, humid. I came. It's I, been humid for like four straight weeks. Yes. I came down into Steve's basement to find him laying on the floor, like getting cool. <laughs> like he's just like sprawled out on the floor. Like <laughs> what, what most people's pets do when they look for that cool spot in the house to lounge that was, on. That was, that was basically what I was doing and ryan got here so i you know what there there is a certain point where i'm just like man we need the heat to break so that way we can kind of get that final push for the season here i mean august when you're not playing well is august the worst. sucks august is the worst for everything so yeah i'll just be glad to get through this month and then uh hopefully well, everything will get a lot more fun i was gonna say and it's also september never feels so bad because you can always turn to football, right? Like if the Brewers start playing badly, you can always, I mean, (laughs) for people who are fans of multiple sports, I mean, if you're not, then, you know, you can ignore it, but there are always other things to be able to take your attention. I mean, I, for me right now, like I would, I would much rather watch a soccer game on a Saturday morning and that's fine. Right. Football. And that, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Like I, I enjoy, and it depends on how you enjoy sports. Like this is, I actually think it's one of the more we don't talk about the fact that people engage and consume sports differently. I don't consume baseball for um, emotional highs and lows during the game. I just don't. I I enjoy it for strategy. I enjoy it for long term. uh, You know, I enjoy it for analytical questions. I enjoy it for trying to figure out the difference between, you know, arts art and and science when it comes to like scouting players and trying to figure out like how these things like work together. And when I watch soccer, I like, I am in it for the emotional ride. That is a hundred percent what I watch soccer for. Does it change with baseball when you get into a pennant run and a postseason like 2011 when they were playing the Cardinals, did it change some for you then? Oh, absolutely. I think for me, postseason baseball gives you that exact same feeling and postseason baseball is completely different. And I don't, but I also don't begrudge people for um, consuming baseball on, on when they watch any game, whether it's in April, whether it's in August, whether it's in June and, and riding that roller coaster and wanting them to win and feeling just utterly broken. If, if you feel, or like if you watch them uh, blow a ninth inning lead, that's fine to be mad. My my biggest concern and my biggest critique of that is always, but that doesn't have any long term impact, right? Like, I don't, I don't, I do not care. Be as mad as you want about a single game loss. You can go, I don't care. You can go scream out the window. You can go throw things in your backyard. You can, I don't give a crap what you do. You can go say things on online, but when it comes down to saying that because this team lost like that has ramifications for the rest of the season and 162 games, that's BS hundred almost every single time that's going to be BS. And so it's just trying to figure out the, the difference between understanding what feels bad in this moment and, and what is terrible. Um, and, and understanding that watching losing baseball sucks, understand that completely but just being able to balance that in terms of how you need to feel for the next day. Cause it's going to happen again the next day. And you're going to generally go into that next day feeling, you know, more optimistic because it's a well, new day, new game and all those things. And that was the point I tried to make earlier is they had some inopportune off days where everybody could sit and like, think about a loss for more than they've gone into <laughs> more than 20 hours or whatever. It they've is. had a terrible, terrible habit lately of losing in soul crushing way, going into off days. 
So everybody stews for the next like 48 hours until there's another game. So you know what we should do is just like delete Twitter after a loss in an off day. I mean, that's just, just good delete advice it. anyway. Just delete it. Don't look at it at all. And then you, it's not like it takes much to reinstall an app after that. If Jack know, and his your, flying Nazis. Yeah, like. exactly. So um, anyways, that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, anything else to add? Oh, I, was, I thought we were going to do this Jim in California question, but I guess not. We're going. We've already run long. Have we? Yeah. Oh, okay. So uh, we'll save Jim in California's question for next week, probably. Yeah, hopefully it becomes less relevant. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't think that one. It's it's all about managing the rotation down the stretch. I don't think I think that one's still going to be relevant. That's we'll, true. We'll be okay. So um, that's going to do it for this week's show. You can join our Patreon by visiting Patreon.com/slash/MKETailgate. Patrons at the ball and glove level will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. As always, follow us on Twitter at MKETailgate. You can also submit questions to Milwaukee's.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and we're in the Google Play Store. Uh, You can also leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening, and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.